So. <laughs> Sorry. This is the thing. This is the one. Absolutely. And now it almost couldn't have happened in a better way. Where did you want to be? So it was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> am I funny? Now if I go over here, am I still funny? Better strategy. Yeah, a way better strategy. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's a workout. I don't see it five years from now that you're not my most famous friend. You really have to commit to something. Good to have some appreciation. That's cool. That was really cool. Yeah, it might be cool. This is On The Cusp. Hello, and welcome to On The Cusp. I'm Ben Green, and today our guest is John Mackey. He's a beloved improviser on the UCB Herald team Winslow. He is one-fourth of the fantastic sketch team Big Grande, and he is a wonderful editor for websites like Funny or Die and College Humor, and we're lucky to have him on the show today. Today's episode is sponsored by Ty Pepper at 6219 Franklin Avenue. Thai Pepper has a menu that can't be beat with both Thai egg rolls and fried wontons for the low price of $3.95. Thai Pepper. Better than a black tie event. Better than Dr. Pepper. It's Thai Pepper. So I've actually known John Mackey for a pretty long time because we went to the same college, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. But I didn't really know him at UNC. I got to know John better when I moved out to L.A., And John was actually in one of the first sketch groups I ever did out here, a sketch group called The Great Opportunity that was him, me, Drew Tarver, and Mono Agapian. And the funny thing about The Great Opportunity is that I pretty much screwed up being a part of that group. Um, It was early on in my time in L.A., and I was still trying to figure out the balance between doing comedy and making enough money to survive. So early on in being in The Great Opportunity... I got a job as a researcher on a dance competition show called Your Chance to Dance. Really stupid show. But because I wanted to be making money, I took it very seriously. Um, And pretty quickly at that job, almost everybody was fired, and I got promoted to being a coordinator. So I found myself like working from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., doing a lot of things that had to do with uh, being a part of a dance competition show and not having much time left to further my comedy career. Um, and then I got promoted to being a associate producer on the show. And this made me kind of cocky and made me go, I, I don't need the comedy world. And in fact, the comedy world is getting in my way of producing these fantastic dance segments. Um, I was stressed out about having to balance my job and doing all these things in the comedy world. So I actually quit The Great Opportunity uh, right before we had what would have been my first Spank show at UCB. Now, I probably quit The Great Opportunity in July, and by August, my job at Your Chance to Dance ended, and I was left unemployed again, and I was left looking around going, where's my comedy life? Um... And I felt like I kind of lost it. So it was a decision that I kind of came to regret over the next couple of years. Um, it ended up being okay because I uh, ended up forming a group that I've always been really excited about. Uh, Hamilton 100 with my great friends Mary Sasson and Robert Stevens. Um, but I'll always think it's funny that I chose a dance competition show over a group that was literally called The Great Opportunity. So now let's turn to my interview 
with my old teammate from The Great Opportunity and a good friend of mine today, John Mackey. There's another one where it came from. I'll let you know. I'll let uh, you know, Ben. Uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> Sorry. I'll be myself now. Because that's what this podcast is about. It's about me being myself, right? It's about, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Not, no, we're not doing improv for humans. You shut all the characters. Get all the characters out. <laughs> no characters. <laughs> no, I don't have any. No, uh, no joking. No joking. No. Okay. Good. It's uh, good. I think laughing sounds weird in okay. any podcast. So don't laugh. Good. Okay, great. I get the I get the gist of this. Awesome. Let's do it, man. Uh, Are we doing it? We're currently doing it. Yeah. It's rolling. Uh, wait. When did you move to LA? Before me. Yeah, I moved to LA uh, in July of two thousand eight. Uh, early early July two thousand eight. I uh, packed up packed up a suitcase, jumped on a plane, and came out here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I like, I, I, I think it's weird. I, a lot of people I know like drove out here. So they like get the distance the, like they get, oh man, I drove, I drove from East coast to West coast. So I know how far it is, but I've never done that. I've only ever flown. So like, I think I still don't have a grasp uh, of how far I am from home. So far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so far from home, but to me it's just, oh, it's like a, it's like a five hour plane ride. Um, were you scared when you moved to LA? I was, uh, I was like, I wasn't scared. I wasn't scared because, like, I moved out, when I moved out here, uh, like, 25 people from my immediate circle in Chapel Hill, where I went to school, like, where we went to school, like, 25 people moved out here that summer. So, like, I knew coming out here that I would have, like, like, sort of a, a, a network of people that I could, like, count on to, like, be around. Uh, and I also have an aunt that lives in Culver City, so I moved out here and I lived with her for four months while I, like, found a job and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, like, I knew, I wasn't, like, scared of the things that, like, people are scared of when they move places, of, like, like being completely on their own and, yeah. like, not knowing anyone and, like, like, having to, like, sort of start your life over. So I wasn't scared of those things. I think the thing that, like, scared me... And, like, still scares me a lot is, uh, like, not necessarily knowing if it's the right move. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's probably the one thing that I'm consistently afraid of is, like, making the wrong choice or, like, doing the wrong thing and it not, like, it not being right. Uh, but me not knowing it until <laughs> it's, like, proven to me that it's not right. Uh, which I guess is, it hasn't happened yet because I haven't been, none of my decisions have been proven negative yet so i think i did right yeah you'll find out uh just on your deathbed whether it was all the right <laughs> decision <laughs> yeah if anyone remembers anything i've done that's when that's when i'll really know uh but that feels like a pretty magical thing to come out with like 25 friends yeah. were they like a lot of the people you would have picked to yeah. move out to la with yeah well the big thing moving out here is i had never thought of moving I was going to stay in North Carolina and I was going to be in a band. Like that was my dream at the time. And like, I remember I was in a band at the time that I really loved. And like, I love the guys in the band. And like, I remember having the conversation with Casey Trela, who lives out here now. Uh, he moved out here with me. 
And I didn't know that he that would even be an option for him. And I remember having that conversation with him of just being like, hey, man, I think I know we've like wanted to do like music and stuff, but like I just like feel like I need to do something else. I need to move. I need to like I need to try something else. So I think I'm going to like just take this opportunity to like move, move to California with all of these people that we know uh, and like see what it's like out there. Uh, and he was like, I never thought about that. I think I'm going to do it too. <laughs> so then like the, the thing I was scared of, of him like being upset that I was going to like walk away from our band and like walk away from all that ended up being like the thing that got him out here. And now he's out here and in another successful band and like very happy. And I think, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's all kind of worked out, I guess. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Had you ever been to Los Angeles before mm-hmm. you like moved here? No, I, uh, at the time, after at, like when I moved out here, I had not been to a state that didn't touch the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Gee whiz. I was like, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd been all up and down the Atlantic uh, coast, but I'd never ventured uh, west in any capacity. Uh, and so it was like a huge, it was like a huge thing uh, for me to like move so far away. And like, also, I've still, I've still never been to a state that doesn't touch water. Uh, <laughs> you gotta go on a road trip I need to go on a road trip yeah I, the whole center of the United <laughs> States is just not it's a thing I don't know uh, uh, what did LA mean to you was it like the place you go as a musician to get uh, discovered I think I had like kind of I had kind of like I didn't lose faith in music as a career but I think I uh, through multiple conversations with like my mom and like people like I just thought about like you can't like bank on it. You can't bank on mu- on music. Uh, and at the time I had no interest in getting in comedy. Like I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to move like my, my goal or like my, the thing I said I was going to do out here was I was going to come out here and get a job in post-production and end up being an editor. Like that was going to be, that was like the track I thought I wanted at the time. So like it was very like, practical. Yeah, it was like I didn't have like the dream that people like move to Hollywood and become a huge star, like be a rock star, be an actor, be any of that kind of stuff. I like wanted to move out here and get a, and get like a day job, uh, just in a different city. Um, but it was just like a skill that I had worked on. Like I, I was like working a lot and like filming stuff in while I was in school and like since all my friends were moving out here to get into like the film industry, I was like, well, I mean, if I'm going to pick anything, like let's pick a thing that I'm like decent at. And it's like, uh, practical. Uh, and then I, yeah. And then I moved out here like thinking that at this point, almost seven years later, I would be like an editor and I kind of am. That's how I make most of the money that I make is, is from freelance editing. Uh, but like my life has like sort of blossomed into such a bigger thing, uh, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and it feels like you're going for a pretty big dream right now. Yeah. Like not a practical <laughs> yeah. dream. Yeah. But uh, like the hardest thing to make happen. Yeah. To, like comedy. <laughs> what? Uh, but yeah, no, I think I think that like the interesting thing for me over the past like two probably like two or three years when I started to sort of realize, like, I guess it's been like four, I've been, I've been like doing comedy for like six of the years I've been out here. So in the past, past like four years, I think is when I realized that like, oh shit, I think like, no, like this is the thing I'm excited about. This is the thing I want to do. 
it's been like really cool to like create the life that I need in order to like be comfortable financially and also be available. Uh, which had, which was not the case. Like until a year ago or two years ago, I was like, I had a job. I couldn't focus on anything but like going to work. Uh, but like, yeah, in the, over the course of the last couple of years, just like really figuring out how to like do, do both things. Struck up a really nice balance. Yeah. Yeah. The unfortunate, like the unfortunate thing about moving to Hollywood and like trying to get into comedy or acting or anything is like people have that sort of like ideal dream of like, Oh, I'm just going to book a thing and I'm going to meet, I'm going to be set forever. But like, I think like the true like Hollywood dream is to just like be happy and like be happy with where you're at and like be okay with the fact that oh, I have to like do these other things to make it so that the, these other things that I find more worthwhile are like, are able to also happen. Uh, and I've lucked out in that, like I've gotten to work on some really cool stuff. Like, so my job, the jobs that I do right now are very fun most of the time. Like you're editing stuff for funny or die. Yeah. Uh, not industrial. Yeah. Soap yeah. Commercials. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm <laughs> not industrial soap commercials. That would, Oh my God. Yeah. That'd be the worst. No, I like get to edit like, uh, like uh, something that I find truly funny for a director that I find truly funny with a producer who has become a very good friend of mine. Like what are some current editing projects? Um, well, I worked on, i most recently, the thing I'm most proud, almost the thing that I'm most proud of, of anything I've ever worked on is this web series called boy search that funny or die did where they sincerely put together a boy band. Uh, and I edited like the last five of eight episodes of that show. Uh, it's so funny. It's the funniest thing in the world to me. And like, uh, I think that like having like sort of the like the the skill the skills of comedy that sounds stupid but like I feel like people trust me as an editor for co comedic stuff because because I am also focused on this other stuff that like I am I'm doing comedy I'm producing comedy I'm constantly thinking about what's funny so I think it, it's helped me like sort of make a uh, make a mark in terms of like oh that guy's a good comedy editor uh, and it's also like helpful to like make things like that. Like to edit a thing because it, it helps when I'm going to make that next thing for myself. Like, oh, I know how. I know how it has to get put together in the end. So it just makes everything a little bit easier. Yeah, you're using that part of your brain all the time. Yeah. all Literally 100% of the time, my brain is thinking about what's funny. And that's pretty cool. Really cool, except yeah. for when a uh, tragedy happens, <laughs> and then even then, you know, I'm I'm, I'm looking past tragedy. Uh, no, 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 there are tragedies, and I do get sad. I do get sad, yeah. Ben. I do get sad. So not a hundred percent. So of not hundred percent of the time. So like maybe like eighty eight, eighty eight percent of my life, I'm thinking about what's funny. Uh, That's a really good percentage. Yeah, I think a lot. There's not a lot of people who can say that. Which is, I don't know how their lives happen. People who don't. People who don't have a sense of humor scare me. Well, you know, like, David Sedaris uh, spends probably, like, 58% of his time thinking about what's, like, daintily ironic. Him <laughs> <laughs> just sitting on his couch, just, like, tapping his fingers together. Mm. <laughs> what's, what's ironic about this thing? Yeah, his life's different than mine. All of our lives are different. Isn't that weird? It is. <laughs>
Um, so you're always from North Carolina. You were born there? I was not born there. What? Uh, yeah, I know, right? Uh, I was born in New York uh, on Long Island. Uh, we were born right next to each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. I was born in Long Island, uh, but I, I only lived there until I was like, 18 months old. So, like, I don't Where have in Long life. Island? Northport? Is that a place? I have no idea. I think it's All close. I know is Merrick. Yeah, I don't know. My grandma still lives near where I was born, I think. Uh, born to, like, Long Island people? Uh, yeah, my mom was, like, born and raised in Long Island. Uh, my dad was born... Where was he born? I want to say, like, Yonkers or something. Some other, like, weird New York town. So not Long Island, but, like... <laughs> Yonkers. Yeah. The people who named Yonkers <laughs> yeah. didn't yeah. give it a great... Yeah. Uh, so, like, they were both New York people. Uh, and, like, yeah, I was, born, so I was born in New York. And then when I was 18 months old, I think my parents moved to Virginia. So I, like, until I was, like, four, three, four, I lived in Virginia... Uh, my parents got a divorce and then my mom remarried a couple years later and we moved to North Carolina. Um, so I think when I was six, I moved to North Carolina when I was six, but like most of my life was like spent in and around the South. So I just like, I claim it. You have, uh, many vibrant Virginia memories? Uh, I remember the beach in Virginia. Is that I was like, uh, I remember, I remember why well, there's two, there's actually two very distinct memories I have in Virginia. One was uh, when my house got termites, uh, and my grandma was visiting, and she, uh, I have this distinct memory of her coming into my room to, like, tell me and my brother that the house was getting, like, tented or something, like, to, like, deal with termites, so we had to leave, and she had a termite in a plastic bag to show me, like, what it was, and, like, I looked at it, and it was just, like, a, a, a bug in a bag, so I remember that. Uh, and then I remember a <laughs> bug in a bag, uh, but then I remember, and then I remember like the beach, I think it was called Sandbridge, which is a beach in Virginia that we would always go to. Uh, and I, and I have like distinct memories of like walking on that beach with my mom and my grandma is in like all of my memories in Virginia. So I'm wondering if like, I'm just remembering one trip or something, but or maybe my grandma just is in my subconscious <laughs> and she wasn't ever there. She's just like somehow in my brain. That's kind of sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have uh, like negative memories of your parents' divorce from when it actually happened? I was super young. I, I like, I, I don't really have, like, I don't remember the like sort of, I don't really remember a lot in terms of their relationship really. Because uh, I was, like, three years old, I think, when they separated. So, like, that's, like, a weird time in your life where you don't really have, like, coherent memories, I, I think. Uh, the, and, I, and I remember, like, sort of the time between when they got separated and when they finally got a divorce. And I remember, like, just, like, little snapshots of it. Like, I remember the day that my mom came home from court and, like, had the divorce finalized. Because I was sitting on the couch. My cousin was watching me and my brother. I was sitting on the couch, uh, listening to a disc, like a, a Walkman, like a cassette tape with the headphones that were like just a thin metal band and two little like puffy bulbs on the end. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was listening to an MC Hammer tape <laughs> and I remember seeing my mom park up out front, like through the, the window and like come inside. But I don't like, we, I, I was so young that like, 
there was never really like a conversation. Like there was never that like, this is what's happening. I just kind of like witnessed it and then realized, oh, like now it's dip. Like we're not the same. And I have like a very like faint memory of like the day that like my mom, like told my dad that she was getting separated. Cause I remember oh, interesting. Uh, my mom was mowing the backyard because my uncle was getting married in, at our house in our backyard. So my mom was mowing the, the lawn and my dad was asleep <laughs> and it was like 1130 in the afternoon or like in the morning. I remember like, I, I just remember that, like, I remember the two locations. She was outside. My dad was asleep. And then there's like a chunk of stuff that I don't remember. And then I remember, uh, sitting in bed with my dad and my dad was just like crying and like telling me and my brother that he was like not going to see us as much anymore. And that's like all I remember. It's like those two little snapshots. Wow. Uh, which is weird. Cause I don't like think that I, I, I like, I'd like to think that I, I don't have like negative feelings about it and I'm not like repressing anything. But then when I think about it, it's like, Oh shit. I like don't have a lot of the information in these memories. So there's probably like stuff I'm not, I'm like subconsciously like not thinking about. Uh, but like, I, I don't have like a lot of like negative memories of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Really. Like I don't like, there's not like pictures. I don't like see crazy shit happening. Cause I don't think that like nothing like super crazy happened. Yeah. Well, when I talked to Ryan Rosenberg, he talked about being a person who, uh, whose parents got divorced, but wasn't, like super negatively affected in his mind by their divorce. Yeah. And you feel that similar way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that like, uh, the consequences of the divorce, like ha have like had like interesting effects, uh, just in sort of, sort of the long term. because like, I mean, in like the terms of like my mom got custody of me and my brother. Uh, so we lived with her. So like that just made it. So I didn't see my dad as often which I think that, like, uh, whether you, like, want to or not, I think, like, proximity, like, affects how close you are to someone. So, like, I, I, I've, through the years, I mean, I've had a, a fine relationship with my dad. I just don't see him as often. I never saw him as often. So, like, uh, there is, like, that weird sort of power imbalance that in my brain of, like, who, like, who, not who was the most important parent. But it's, like, it's just weird that that happens because it wasn't a conscious thing. It's just, like, I spent so much more time with my mom that, like, uh, my relationship with her is very strong. And then she got remarried, and, like, my stepdad is a really great guy uh, who, like, taught me a lot as a, a guy, as a person. Uh, and my dad, my dad's a good guy, too. He's, he's just, like, he lives in New York. He's, like, lived in, he, like, lived all over the place. Uh, like, he moved to North Carolina for a little while and, like, was living with my uncle who lived out there. And then he, like lived in Virginia, but then now he lives back up in New York now. So I see him, I usually see him like once a year, um, these days. And, uh, it's, but yeah, it's like, it's weird that like, I don't think that I was ever negatively affected by the fact that my parents divorced. I think it's more just like, <clears throat> I had l less of a relationship with my dad, uh, which is a bummer, uh, in a lot of ways, but I think it's also like, it's just like the way it happens. Um, but yeah. Yes. What does he do for a living? Uh, he was a chef, like, when I was growing up. Like, that was, like, his thing. Uh, and I think he still, he still cooks at, like, a country club. Like, he's a chef at a country club now. But he also uh, 
is a like drug and alcohol counselor. Uh, like he works for like a facility that, that does that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, that's like, I think that's, he's, I think for a while he was trying to like transition more into that world and out of cooking, but I think he's kind of got a, a balancing thing going on now where he's doing both. And have your mom and stepdad always done the same thing? Yeah. Uh, my mom's been a teacher her whole life. She retired two years ago or a year ago. Uh, she was a teacher. She taught sixth grade, fourth grade, kindergarten, and then preschool. <laughs> so she worked her way down. Uh, and then my stepdad was the superintendent of my the school system in my hometown. And before that, he was a guidance counselor. So they've both been in education forever. Uh, and they're the greatest people. Ever in the same school that you were in? Yeah. My mom taught in the elementary school that I was in. Uh, I wasn't in her class. Uh, I think consciously. I think that that was, that was a choice on the school and on her part. Uh, was it weird having a mom who was a teacher? It was Who cool. other kids had? I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Mostly because my mom was like a teacher that kids liked. Uh, so I think I got like... I got treated really nicely. Like I didn't have to deal with a lot because like my mom... A, my mom was there... So I didn't get bullied very much because, like, I think because, like, people knew, like, oh, his mom's a teacher, his dad's a superintendent, I'm not going to mess with him. <laughs> uh, but then also, like, I, I think people really liked my, my mom. Like, she's a great teacher. And, like, some of my best friends, like, my best friends, to this day, my best friend from home, uh, it, like, was in my mom's class in fourth grade uh, and is, like, a brother to me and my brother. And, like, my mom, like, loves him. His mom loves me. Like, we're, like, it's, like... Because my mom was his teacher, they got close, and me and him got close, and we became, like, very, like, tight. Uh, so I think that that's, like, the difference b between me and other people, I think, is that my mom, being in the school, wasn't, like, embarrassing or anything. It was, like, a trophy, or, like, like a ch thing I could champion. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, my mom, my mom is that fourth grade teacher that you all love. So people were like, oh, yeah, yeah, man, you're cool. You're cool. You're good, man. You're good. Oh, you were with her? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> she's yours? <laughs> Great. <laughs> she's not mine. She's she's her own woman. She's my mom though. I'm hers. Really? <laughs> I guess in the end, I'm her property. Uh, but I'm yeah. picturing you saying all that as a seven-year-old. Yeah, seven, no, I'm hers, really. Uh, I also had a speech impediment for a really long time, which is cool. What was your speech impediment? Uh, well, I don't know if it was a speech impediment or like a like a a, a like uh, sleeping New York accent that would just like come out. Uh, but like I would, I had a problem with alls. I was like the kid who said alls like this, like, like Cheerios, like, uh, like work. I got to do some work, like that kind of stuff. I love it. The uh, idea that that's a sleeping New York accent, but it, like it's like, like, because also I did as a kid have like a little bit of a, of a New York thing going Trying on. Trying to go to the Upper West Side. <laughs> yeah. I'll take you there. Yeah. Because like my mom still had an accent a little bit for a long time until she like married my stepdad and like we moved to North Carolina. And then like, all of our accents sort of like pushed towards the middle. Because now I don't really think I have an accent. I, I think I'm pretty neutral. Uh, but like when I was a kid, I sounded crazy. Um... And sorry, what area of North Carolina was this that you moved to when you were six? We moved to northeastern North Carolina, which is, uh, like, close to the Outer Banks. 
Yeah. Uh, like That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I don't. I, I took, like the other banks when gone. I took it for granted. I think it became too common for me, so I don't appreciate it the way that I should. Um, but like, it's very like rural, um, mostly farmland. Like my town is like less than a mile square. Like the actual town proper. Uh, like we're just very, very, very small. Very Population? 800. Or at least that's what Wikipedia says. Uh, so that's the population now. Yeah. It may have doubled. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, as a kid, I mean, like, I knew you kn- I knew everybody. That's why it's so weird. I still, to this day, like, when people, like, say, like, they're from a city that I know someone else from, I'm always like, oh, do you know uh, so-and-so? So, like, I met a guy from Arizona the other day. And, like, I, like, my roommate, uh, is from Arizona, and I was like, oh, do you know Dan? <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> no, Arizona, like, Tucson, Arizona is a huge city. No, I don't know your friend. <laughs> There's, like, 400,000 people. But for me, it's like, if someone else said, oh, my cousin lives in Columbia, North, lived in Columbia, North Carolina in those years, like, oh, what's his name? If they said his name, 100%, absolutely, I would know who it was. That's really cool. Yeah. Because my school, my school was, like, super small. I had, like, 27 people in my graduating class. That's really small. Yeah, I think the whole school had, like, 300 people in it, maybe, or less. Uh, what do you think your reputation was amongst those, like, 27? Uh, in, that's interesting. I, I don't, I think that, like, uh, depending on what era of school we, we jumped back to, my reputation was a lot different. So elementary school. In elementary school, I was like, kids liked me. I was like, I had a lot of friends. I was like, really cool. Funny? Uh, I, I mean, not like, not consciously funny. Uh, but like, I remember, I can remember like bits and pieces of like fun jokes I would do. Uh, <laughs> I was also like, I think I like, I was kind of a little, maybe a little bit mean in elementary school too. Like I did like mean things sometimes. Like I can remember a few instances of like, like I, uh, stole I stole like a dollar out of a girl's desk uh but then I felt guilty about it later so I bought her a big cookie at lunch uh that's really nice and then just gave it to her as if it was just a present it sounds like you kind of sound guilty about it I still Uh, feel very guilty about it uh that's one of the things that I I will regret for the rest of my life uh but then like another time like I drew something like very obscene on a desk in like second or third grade and the teacher saw it and I blamed it on like this girl that nobody liked, uh, which is like so shitty, such a shitty thing to do. What was the picture? I can't remember. I just remember it being like, like someone else saw it and like being like, ugh. like I think it was like, I'm pretty sure it was like a naked person or something. And that girl was sent to jail. Yeah. <laughs> she got in trouble for sure. I can't remember what her punishment was. Uh, but yes, yeah, so like elementary school, like I had a lot of friends and I was like well liked, but I think I I like I like did all the things that kids do to try to make people like them, which is like ugh, gross. Uh, and then in middle school, I got like really obsessed with like wanting people to like like me and like wanting to be like cool. But like cool in my hometown didn't mean the same thing as it does to other people. Like in my hometown, the guys who were cool were like the like hick guys who are like just into hunting and didn't care about school and like wore camouflage to school every day and like snuck alcohol into school in an orange juice bottle like those kind of guys we didn't really have like the jock class 
it was all like those guys were the guys who played sports and they were the guys who like hung out after school in the parking lot sitting in the bed of trucks of their like older brothers uh, so like middle school I was like trying really hard to be like those dudes uh, so I like I like uh, I tried to like be a little bit more like southern like to embrace like the the like countryness uh, of of the place where I was and that always felt weird it like it's stupid it's stupid like when you know you're not something to try to be something did you go hunting uh, I never went hunting uh, but the the main reason for that though is like we didn't have the proximity that people usually have. Like, these guys, like, people lived 10 miles away from me. Like, I had one or two friends that lived on my street, uh, but we lived far away from people. So it was like, as a kid, you don't have a car, you can really only hang out in your neighborhood. So, like, me and, like, the two kids who lived on my street would hang out. But, like, I didn't have the ability to, like, go and hang out with people, really. Uh... And not that I would have wanted to either, because, like, hunting was never exciting to me. But you would wear a camouflage. But I would wear a camouflage hat or whatever if I needed to. Uh, <laughs> but, like, that was weird. It was weird, because, like, I think it was always, like, people could tell that I wasn't I wasn't that kind of person. So I never really, like, folded myself into that group of guys. Um, and that just kind of, ha- like, kind of going into high school... Uh, I got really into music. Like that was when when I started in I started playing music in middle school, and I got really into music. In guitar. I, I started playing bass first, because uh, my brother played guitar and we were like, I didn't want to double up, so I bought a bass guitar and like learned how to play bass a little bit. And then when I got to high school, we like started a band. Like me and my brother and like two of our friends started a band. And like, my brother was a senior when I was a, a freshman. So like that for that one year in high school. We had a band and we had fun and stuff, but then he moved away and the band broke up. And I, at that point, was, like, getting, like, really into, like, punk rock and, like, like hard, harder music. Uh, so like, From what was before the harder music? Like, like, I, like, before that in, like, middle school, like, music wasn't even really a thing for me, if I think about it. Like, I kind of just listened to whatever. Uh, like, my brother, like, my brother had started to get into punk, so I probably listened to a little bit of that. But then, like, I mean, just, like what was on the radio, like, whatever was on the radio was what I was listening to, uh, but then, yeah, in, like, high school, I got, like, really into punk rock, and, like, no effects, and, like, all that kind of stuff, and I, like, for the first, like, like, through the first three years of high school, I was, like, I, I was, like, going that direction, but never really, like, jumped over the edge, uh, like, into, like, being, like, my own dude, like, I still was very conscious of the fact that I was, like, I couldn't be that into this weird thing that nobody else liked or nobody would talk to me. So I, like, I like was a little bit more reserved about that. But then junior year of high school, between junior and senior year, I went to governor's school, which is, like, this, like, summer program for, like, like gifted kids or whatever. I don't know, that sounds so stupid. But I went to this program, and, like, it was the first time that I kind of, like, experienced, like, culture in any way like outside of just like southern like the southern stereotype of what like life is so like when I went to this program I like met all these people and I was like oh my god I met like the first person I've ever met who was openly gay like I like interacted with people who had like very like progressive ideas and like and that was the point when I just like kicked it into high gear and I turned into a nightmare 
Like, in terms of, not a nightmare. I just, like, was very, like, I got, like, super liberal and, like, really, like, like, uh, kind of, like, threw a middle finger up to everything that, like, happened in my hometown. Like, all the things that people liked. I was like, that all that sucks. Everybody sucks. I'm, like, I'm the only person who's, like, worth anything. That's the right-wing South's nightmare about governor's school. Yeah, it is. I, I realized the, the, like, nightmare of, like, the people who are trying to shut gover- governor's school down. Uh, I was exposed to the hippie liberal agenda, and it worked. Uh, <laughs> but then, so I went back to high school, like, that senior year, and it was like, oh, fuck. This sucks. And, like, you could talk to my mom. I, there was just, like, a time where I was just, like, so upset that, like, I had to still be in my hometown, like, knowing what I knew now. You know, like, having seen the light, like, I was so upset that I had to still deal with this. And that, my senior year ended up being, like, a, a, I kind of, I wouldn't say that I alienated myself from people, but, like, I, I didn't, I, I kind of hung out with just, like, the couple people who sort of got it. Yeah. And I, and I kind of shut everybody else out to a certain degree. Uh, and then I, gra- like, when I graduated from, from high school, like, I, I don't know, I guess, I, and I also kind of, like, threw myself into, like, school and stuff senior year. It was like, well, I'm just going to, like, try really hard and get good grades and, like, and, like, that's, that's the thing I'll focus on, uh, instead of like trying to be friends with these people who I, at this point just didn't get and didn't want to like talk to anymore. You ever confront a kid for saying something stupid? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, that, that, it was like, it I was always like, uh, the problem with doing that in my hometown is you never got through to anybody. So like any argument was always just like met with what, like the opposite like, like what like I, I i was there was like stuff like where kids were like talking really terribly about this girl uh at like a baseball game or something and i remember saying something about how like they should they needed to chill out and like this one dude like threatened to like punch me like just because i said like cool out basically uh and then like 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 the kind of thing where they would just like call you a fag because you like cared about something like that kind yeah. of stuff uh, that's crazy to me. Yeah, I came up from I, I came from a place where nobody got called fag. Right. Yeah, and that's like I think that's what was so like. I don't. I realized that was like when when I left and came back, I realized how different my experience was from like everybody else out there. Like because even in North Carolina, even in like Raleigh or Durham, like a bigger city, like it's there's more there's at least a bigger sample of people so there are more people who feel the same way as me but in my hometown it it really truly for my senior year felt like me against them like me against everyone because anyone who i was really close friends with had graduated at that point because i had like two two friends who were in grades above me who had graduated so my senior year i was like alone uh and which is sad because there were people in my class, I'm sure, that if I had just, like, let myself be interested in them, like, I could have had friends. But I was just, like, so over it at that point that my senior year was just, like, a nightmare. Uh, and I ended up, like, I got I got good grades and I ended up, like, going to college with, like, extra college credits. So made college easier. Uh, was it always a certainty that it would be UNC Chapel Hill that you'd be going to? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's funny because it wasn't. Uh, I applied to UNC Chapel Hill. I applied to UNC Wilmington. And because my two friends who graduated went to Wilmington. 
and I got into Wilmington first. I got like I got the the acceptance letter from them, and I, I was admitted to their honors program. Like it was like a good deal, and I was like, well, I, maybe I, I think I'm gonna go to UNC Wilmington. My friends are there. I'm gonna go. And it's gonna be great. Uh, and my parents were like, you're gonna wait until you find out about Chapel Hill because you don't get into UNC Chapel Hill and then go to UNC Wilmington, which is like such a weird thing to say. But it is true. It's like, if I got into UNC Chapel Hill, like, why would I not go there? Uh, and then I got into Chapel Hill. And I, I remember, like, being upset about going, like, choosing Chapel Hill over Wilmington. But, like, in the end, I think it was the right choice for me. Uh, missed a lot of nights at the beach. Missed a lot of nights at the beach. Uh, missed a lot of uh, 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 sightings of Dawson's Creek characters. <laughs> Because that shoots in Wilmington. Uh, and had I known that I wanted to get into film, because at that point I didn't know that I wanted to do that. I didn't know that I wanted to be a director uh, or anything. Had I known that, Wilmington would have been a good choice. Uh, mostly because they have a film program, like a legitimate film program. And UNC Chapel Hill has, I, I, has a video camera and an old guy. Like basically, that's like that's the comm department. I mean, the the like film department at UNC was like so. I mean, it was fine, and I, I shouldn't even badmouth it because it, it did great things for me. But like compared to like the film, the legitimate film program at UNC Wilmington, it's like it's kind of nothing. Uh, so maybe if I had known that I wanted to get into filmmaking, it might have been a better choice. But in terms of like growing as a human being, I think. Chapel Hill was a good choice because it was so far in my comfort zone in terms of I didn't have any friends there. I was going there. I mean, I did luck out in that my first year, my brother was there. My brother went to UNC Chapel Hill. But, like, my brother was not going to hang out with his little brother at college. So, like, I saw him every now and then, but, like, we didn't, like, hang out. But it was nice. He was actually in my first college class. The first class that I ever took in college, my brother was in it also. Wow. It was like an intro to jazz class that he had to like take to fulfill like some general college thing uh, before he could graduate. And we, for my first day of college classes, my brother was sitting next to me, which was so weird. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to college. Yeah, yeah. It's a much bigger world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was great. College was good. Um, were you happy like in your freshman year? Yeah, yeah. I think because the weird thing is I I was going to school right as like Facebook was happening. Like Facebook's first year as like an open public thing was my first year at UNC. Uh, so like I got on Facebook like before I went and like sent messages to people that I found on Facebook who were going to UNC. I was like, hey, we should hang out when we get there. So I like, got there and there was like already like two or three people who I'd like talked to a little bit online before we had gotten there. Anybody who you're still in contact with? Uh, no, no. I don't, no, unfortunately, uh, not not for any reason other than the fact that we just live very different lives now. But um, so we have a lot of friends in common, like Casey Trela, yeah. uh, Katie McNeil, yeah. uh, and a bunch Will Donegan, and a bunch of other people. Yeah. But you were all you were friends with all of them pretty much first. Um, when did you meet those guys? Uh, strangely enough, Will Donegan and I we met at Governor's School. He went to Governor's pre college pre college. So I knew him. Didn't get his contact information when we left uh, governor's school. And then, like, two or three days into college, just ran into him. I was like, oh, you go here. And then we became friends. Uh, and then, Casey, I met uh, my sophomore year, I think, through just another friend. 
uh, and Katie, I met once I started to get like into the con department and started getting into like making stuff because she was like big into that stuff. Uh, yeah, those were all. It was weird because like my freshman year, I think it, my freshman year of college, I, I hung out with like a very specific group of people who were like not uh, the people I ended up with because I was like this is a detail about my life. What when I was in college, I was very like hardcore straight edge. Like, I really bought into the culture of straight edge uh, stuff. So all my friends, the my best friends in, 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 like, freshman year were, like, straight edge kids who, like, didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't do stupid stuff. Or stuff that I thought was stupid at the time. But then you gravitated away from that. Yeah, I think the thing that I realized that, like, uh, I talk about this a lot, actually. I realized that, like, anybody who believes they're right too hard, I think is... Uh, poisonous. Uh, and I felt like there was too much certainty in that group of people for me to be, like, really happy. Uh, and there was, like, so few gray areas and, like, nothing was a discussion. And I think it, it, like, bled over into a lot of things, not just into their philosophies on, like, drinking and smoking and all that kind of stuff, but just, uh, into a a lot of, like, more political stuff and then just, like, social stuff. So it was just, I just didn't, I felt, uh, I felt like I had to pretend to, uh, have that same conviction about things. Yeah. When really there's a lot more gray area in my mind. Uh, so I, I gravitated towards more like sort of level headed, uh, like sort of, uh, people who had less, uh, less certainty, uh, in terms of how they lived their life or like what they knew about the world, you know? Was that like happy campers or, or is happy campers a different thing? What sweater weather? Sweater weather. That was, that was the band that I joined, uh, in, in college. Yeah. Like that, that was like sort of the group of people that I sort of gravitated towards. And it's interesting because at the time, like they, like sweater weather was by all accounts, a Christian band. And I was never like a, a super religious person, but like I appreciated spirituality a lot. Uh, so like when I joined that band and like seeing them, like, like they were, but what I liked about it and the, the thing that drew me towards it was, uh, it never felt mo- like there was no motivation outside of like enjoying people, uh, which is the thing that I like a lot. I enjoy people. So like being around people who really love people is, like, a cool thing for me, and that, like, was attractive to me. And, I, and, I, and I, I, I've always been, like, someone who's, like, a real, like, I have some sort of, like, hint of spirituality, but it's definitely more nuanced than anything that people really believe these days. I want to hear um, about it. What's your spirituality? I just think that, I think that, uh, I kind of look at it like this. We can break life down so far. Right, we know we can b- break life down just further and further and further. Like we are atoms. Inside those atoms are these particles. Inside those particles are these separate components. Inside those separate components, there are these little uh, smaller things, smaller things, smaller thing. So it's like for us to think that sort of the like universe ends with what we see. Like to for us to think that like we're not part of something like bigger is so insane to me. So, and I don't, I don't think that like, I don't think that God is a dude or a person at all. 
I don't necessarily think that there is a God. But I think that, like, there is, a, there is a higher order to life than what we experience. You know what I mean? Like, I think things, things matter a lot. And what's, what are clues that have made you think that? Just the simple fact, I, I think the proof that I need is just that we can break life down, so why can't we blow life up? You know what I mean? Like, we are, like, we are the, like, sort of nucleus and mitochondria of the earth. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, the earth is that of the solar system. The solar system is that of the universe. The universe is that of a bigger thing. And I think it just keeps going. Uh, so I don't know what, I don't necessarily know what the repercussions of that are in my everyday life. I just know that like life is a cool thing and we're all part of something a lot bigger than each of us individually. So I think it, it sort of leads me toward a life of like loving the people around me and the, the things that happen to me, which I think is a good thing. Really cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but I, I mean, I respect, and I respect people who, who need some sort of label on that to like make it make sense to them. Uh, but for me, I'm perfectly happy with like that weird nebulous definition of what my spirituality is. Uh, hopefully my mom's not upset when she's heard that, heard me say that. What would be her hope that you would say? That I believe in God. <laughs> like... I think, uh, that I, like, I think just her hearing the words that I don't necessarily believe there is a God would be very difficult for her to hear. Uh, cause my mom is not like, she's not super religious. I mean, she's like religious. She has, she's very like spiritual, but she always kind of taught me and my brother to like believe what we feel, like believe what's in our heart and don't like, don't just accept something because someone told you to. So like she respects that, but she, I mean, she's for sure like. She's she's more along the lines of the sort of traditional Christian view of spirituality. Um, do you feel like you've already encapsulated like what your uh, evolution was in college, um, or was there more of an evolution that we haven't gone into? I think no. I think I've I've like I got there. I think that that's like kind of where I ended. Like just like surrounding myself with people who care about each other, and like realizing that there are those kind of people out there and like that I think that's where like also I mean to tie this back into comedy like I think that's where my sensibility as a comedian and, and as a an artist in any way like sort of comes from like I I like really appreciate uh comedy and like art in general that is like uh made with like care for humans. You know what I mean? Like I like, I enjoy watching people care about each other. Uh, and that's like when I'm watching like imp improv shows or like coaching improv teams, like that's like a note I give a lot. It's like care about each other because that's like, like I think that it's so much easier for me to laugh if I, if I know that people are caring about each other and it's, that's the same, it's the same way in any like sort of, it's, it's easier for me to experience anything if I know that the people who are doing it care about each other. Yeah. Uh, so that's like, I think that's the like big thing for me. It's like, I just want people to like each other. I really like that. Yeah. Um, so you talked to Casey, you said you might move out here. He said, okay, I'll move too. Uh, yeah. 
you and a bunch of people moved out. Yeah. Uh, and what was the beginning of your LA experience life like? Uh, it was fun. Uh, it was interesting. It was interesting to me because it was so new. Like everything I was doing was so new. Uh, and I moved out here and I got a job almost immediately, which was crazy. At Relativity or someplace no, else? I worked at MyEye Media, which was a DVD quality control company that a lot of people that I know have since worked for. Uh, it was like a very easy job to get at the time, uh, but it was awful. Uh, but I like went and I worked. It's I, it's you watching Q- DVDs, quality controlling, making sure that there's no uh, watching a movie a, a hundred times in a row. I like yeah, or like television shows, movies, uh, reading subtitles. I would watch the same episodes of CSI Miami uh, over and over and over again for a week in every language with every subtitle option. Uh, and it was, oh God, it was like the most soul sucking thing you could do. And you're sitting in a room alone watching a terrible TV show. Like it wasn't good material. Like we weren't watching good stuff. Uh, and it was just like the worst. And I like knew very quickly after starting that job that it was not what I wanted to do at all. Uh, and soon after moving out here, like maybe like six to seven months after moving out here, I started taking classes at UCB. How'd you just hear about it? Uh, through my friend CC Pierce, our friend CC Pierce, uh, he had taken a class and he was like, he liked it. Uh, and like I knew people who had done chips, which was like the UNC, uh, improv group, uh, which you know about, uh, cause I did yeah, it. Yeah. Cause you did it. Uh, but like, so I heard about people doing improv and I was like, that's an interesting thing. Like that could be really cool, uh, to try sometime. And then I just started taking classes and I, like, I fell in love with it. Uh, like very quickly. And I realized that like, I wanted to get into the, like, I wanted to get into comedy. I didn't know how, I didn't know like what, in what capacity, but I knew that I wanted to get into comedy. Uh, so I like started to think about like sort of getting out of this job and finding something that's more in the world that I wanted to live in. Uh, so I ended up getting a job at Mosaic, uh, media group, which is a management, a management company. Uh, that manages a lot of, like, comedians. So I got this, like, weird, like, hybrid job there where I, like, covered assistants' desks when they were out of town, but then I also did, like, all their, like, AV work. So I would, like, set up TVs for meetings and, like, do all that kind of stuff. But, like, I was, like, meeting, like, these managers who had, like, really great clients who were all, like, some of the best comedians in the world. Uh, So I was, like, in the mix there. Uh, But then... (laughs) Then a few months after that, like, I was just, I needed more money. So I, like, left for this other job, uh, Relativity Media, uh, where I was, like, their, like, post-production guy. And it was, like, back to, like, that, like, soul-sucking day-to-day. Just, like, I hated it. But, like, all the while, I was doing improv five nights a week. Like, I was rehearsing with groups, and I was doing indie shows when they would pop up and stuff. So I was, like, constantly doing comedy. Uh, and we were doing a team called something with a bear in it. Fat Magic Bear. Yeah. It was my first improv team, uh, formed out of people from a 201 UCB class. Who's in that uh, team? It was, it was me, Phil Eastman, Nick Michaels, Brian Moran, Claire Fogarty, Margaret Lewis, Jessica Jean Jardine, uh, and Danny Mastrangelo. Uh, and it was great. It was like, like, 
that was the first group of friends I made that didn't go to college with me. And that was like a year and a half after I moved out here. Uh, and that was the thing that really got me like plugged into comedy and like really like wanting to do it was like performing with those guys and like rehearsing every week. And like I was in classes nonstop for like three or four years, uh, auditioning for Herald teams and everything. And then that all happened. Oof. And you were simultaneously playing in Hi Ho Silvero. Yeah, I was in a, I was in a band with Casey, who was who was in bands with in, in college. For like the first five years I was out here, I was also in a band with Casey, and like things were like sort of concurrently going. Like we were like, oh, we're we're moving up, we're moving out, we're moving up uh, together, uh, and that was like the big like sort of like the turning point in my like career both professionally in terms of the job I had and like with like comedy was making that choice of like, do I want to do music or do I want to do comedy? And like those two things came to a head, uh, last January when I was going to be on tour with my band with Hi-Ho Silvero, uh, for two weeks. And the last weekend of that tour, we had three shows, but it was the same weekend that my sketch group, Big Grande, got into San Francisco Sketchfest. So I was like, I had to make a choice, either stay on tour and miss my sketch show, which they couldn't do their show without me, or I had to leave tour and go do the sketch show. And I like thought about it, and I, like, the, I, I, I think the thought process for me was just like, for me, I see, I see myself making money and making my life in comedy. I don't see myself making my life in, in money from music. So I like called Casey and just like broke the news to him. And it was like the first time that he had ever like really been like upset at me. Uh, and it was a very hard conversation for me to have because I knew I was like dicking him over. Like I was I, like, I'm flying away from a tour that you planned for three shows. You're not going to have a drummer and I'm going to be going to do comedy at San Francisco, San Francisco, San Francisco sketch fest. And like, it was the first time that he like Casey ever really got mad. Well, I mean, I think it wasn't mad. I think it was like the initial, the initial just like shit, man, like this sucks. Uh, and I got like really upset. Like I got, I got like, I cried about it which is interesting to me uh, because it was like letting him down. But like, I knew that like, that was like a thing I had to do. And I think from that, like that moment to now has been like a very like steady push towards like comedy actually becoming a thing that I can support myself on. Yeah. Uh, but it was like a weird, like it was really, it was literally my two, the two things that I enjoyed literally coming to a head and having to make an actual choice about which to do in a moment. And so I ended up quitting Hyo Silvero uh, after that because it was just like I didn't want to keep having that happen where I would have to pick comedy over music. And since then, the band has found a very good drummer and they're putting out a new album very soon and it's going to be great. Uh, so they're doing fine without me. Uh, and I'm doing well not in the band anymore. So I think it worked out for everyone. Yeah. And you kind of proved to yourself how dedicated you are to comedy. Yeah. And, and Casey and I have worked it out. We're not, he's not upset anymore. And we're, we're, we're still buds, which is good. Um, and yeah, now, now it's just like my life now is a hundred percent comedy. 
or 88, 88, 88, what did I say? 81, 88%, 88%, 88%, 12% dealing with tragedies, (laughs) (laughs) national tragedies. Um, when you were going for being on a Herald team and just doing a bunch of, uh, indie improv stuff, it felt to me like you had like a lot of confidence that you were going to get on a Herald team someday. Was that true? Did you have that, that much confidence about it? I like, uh, I knew I was getting better. But I think I, like, I just sort of in every capacity, like, in every avenue of my life, I try to live my life without expectations because I think that that's the way that, that you get, the way depression happens is you, <laughs> you, well, it happens with the chemical imbalance. But if you, if you set yourself up to be upset if something doesn't happen, you're going to be upset if it doesn't happen. So I think for, like, three years, like right in a row, I like felt myself getting better and I was doing good work and I was like having a lot of fun and I knew that I was never going to not audition each year. So for me, I think, I, I mean, a part of me knew like, well, at some point I will get on a team, but I'm not going to, I'm never going to go into my audition expecting it. Uh, so yeah, I don't know that I consciously was like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get on a team, but I didn't, I like knew that I was getting better, which I think is, is good. To, and to, like, be actively trying to get better, which I still am. Like, I'm still, like, constantly working and, like, pushing myself to do better. What's your biggest uh, way you want to get better now? Um, I think that, like, I, uh, when I first started out with improv specifically, I was very, uh, uh, I, I was, uh, I was kind of thoughtless on stage. Like I, I literally didn't think about what I was saying ever. Uh, and I just like went. I literally embodied like don't think. Just like say whatever's in your brain. And it worked to a degree. But now when I watch like if I watch old tapes of shows that friends had taped. I'm a lunatic. And I hated, I hated what I saw. So then I like sort of course corrected myself back over to the other side, like of just being like super grounded and like really examining what's going on and like playing like from more of a like default to straight man, uh, setting. Uh, and I think what I'm working on now is it, or like the, the goal I have for myself as a performer is to let myself have more fun, uh, and trust that like all the work I've done to get myself to where I am, will make it so I'm never back there. I'm never back to that just, like, shotgun blast on stage. Like, I'm, like, a rifle that's, like, shooting at a very specific target. Uh, so I think that's the thing I'm, I'm, like, most interested in working on right now, is just, like, getting myself to a place where I'm not afraid... I'm never, I'm, I, I'm never afraid to make a choice that I'll have fun with in a scene or in, in life, you know? Don't want to be afraid. Never want to be afraid, Ben. You don't seem like you have a lot of afraid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty good. I'm good right now. I'm not afraid of anything at the moment. Um, and it seemed cool when you got on Winslow, like, just what a cool group of people yeah. that you already were friends with you got put on. Yeah, was, we lucked out. We it was, like, actually, sure. like, two people from UNC, in addition to you, who yeah. uh, had been in Chips, like, Mary yeah. and Mono, and then... And then two of my best friends uh like two guys that i would consider my best friends like dan lipper and drew tarver uh like we had started working together 
as like Big Grande like a year before Winslow even started happening. Uh, so like that was like a really, it was really great. Like Winslow is a team that is essentially made up of people who all know each other in some capacity uh, and have worked with each other before. Uh, it's been, it's been really interesting to see how like we, we sort of meshed sort of so immediately. Uh, and you almost like, it almost feels like if we did the like meshing so early that like, uh, you almost like, well, where, where, where do we go from here? You know, we already are like, we already get each other. Uh, so that's been like, I think the constant sort of like, not struggle cause it's been fun, but like figuring out like how to grow together. Cause you know, it's a fun group of people and yeah. now, yeah. How do we make it? So it's a fun group of people who does great shows a hundred percent of the time. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and I want to, uh, hear like your account of how big grande started. Um, but before that, I feel like, like part of the story to get to big grande, like might like, uh, have the great opportunity yeah. <laughs> somewhere, which was yeah. a group that uh, we did together. You, it was you and me and mono Agabian and, and drew Tarver. Yeah. So two out of the four members of big grande. Yeah. I think drew and I, uh, I think the, of, of big grande, it sort of did happen in a very like, let's add another, let's add another situation. So like Drew and I first started working together with Great Opportunity. That was like, we'd met each other through another friend. We started working together on that. Uh, and then uh, after that, Drew met Dan and a three-on-three tournament was happening at UCB uh, and Drew and Dan wanted to do it and they were like, well, let's get like a third, we should. We need to get a third guy. So Drew asked me if I wanted to do it. And so we started Tall, Tall, Small, which was just the three of us, with me, Dan, and Drew. Uh, and we started doing shows as Tall, Tall, Small. We did the three-on-three tournament and, like, had a great show. Like, it was really, really fun. Like, we, we ended up, like, advancing into, like, the later rounds. Uh, didn't end up winning, but whatever. Uh, and out of that, uh, this manager saw us at the three-on-three tournament and, like, came up to us afterwards and was like, hey, do you guys have people? Like, do you have, do you, do you have representation? Like, are you guys working on anything? And we were like, oh, we don't have people, but yeah, we're working on stuff. Uh, so we started very quickly, like, getting together and, like, thinking of, like, web series ideas, like, TV ideas, uh, because we were going to go in and meet with this manager and talk about, like, what we were working on. So we had all these ideas for stuff, and then we went in and worked with it. We went in to talk to these managers, and they were kind of weird. Like, we weren't really feeling them at all. But, like, they... <laughs> um, like they like they like liked this one idea we had, uh, and they're like, you guys should work on this. You should develop this and write a pilot or whatever. So we started writing this pilot, and then I don't remember how, but somehow Ryan got invited to like write with us. I don't remember who did it. I think maybe Drew or Dan like was like, oh man, you should come and like we like get together to write all the time, like like once a week. Like you should come and like. Like, just, like, hash out ideas with us or whatever. So Ryan came to a meeting, and we started working on this pilot together. Uh, and then it sort of just, like, unknowingly became a group. Like, we became a thing. Uh, and started working on other stuff and performing together uh, as Big Grande. Uh, and then we started writing, like, when we started writing sketches, that was when we were kind of like, oh, man, this is a really good thing. And we wrote our first sketch show two years ago that went up at the theater. Uh, and it was 
So fun. Was your favorite sketch on that show the same as mine? I love that uh, sketch where you guys are like running. The chase, and there's all the these, chase scene, yeah. Uh, that obstacle was, props. That was like, it happens a lot with Big Grande uh, where the, the pitch for the sketch is not funny. Like Ryan pitched that sketch and he was like, what if it's like, it's like a, it's like a chase scene from a movie, but we're just running in place and like nothing's funny about that. But then we like really started to like get it on, on its feet and like work it out. And like, oh man, like this is like, it's not funny in the classic sense, but it's fucking cool to watch. And that's kind of like what we're trying to do now is like, I think having the four of us involved in creating everything, something has to be damn near perfect for all four of us to be like, yes. Yeah. And we don't do things unless all four of us are like, yes, that's, that's good. So like writing sketch shows is very difficult for us because it's a lot of no, it's a lot of like, I, I don't think this is funny. It's a, like a, a document of 30 sketch pitches where we've written five of them. Uh, but in the end, I think it like really works for us in terms of like quality because we've had two sketch shows that like, I'm, there's not a stinker in them. Like, I, I think that they're both head to toe, like really great sketch shows. Uh, and they're like things that haven't been done before. Like that's like, like the sketches are like good ideas that are well executed, I think. And that's like what we try to do as a group, I think, is to like sort of step just beyond where other groups might stop. Uh, but I don't know. We try. I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know, Ben. <laughs> I mean, I love you guys, and... We love you, Ben. Uh, as a whole group? Yeah, we as a group love you. <laughs> wow, that's cool. And I know a lot of people who worship you guys. Oh, come on. Nobody worships us. Who? Yeah. Who? Name a name. I don't, I don't want to out him. <laughs> <laughs> a guy I know. <laughs> well, that's that cool. A big, that's that's cool. a big crush on you guys. Oh, good. I've heard a lot of people say that. Yeah, I mean, um, we have fun. So hopefully we have we make it so other people can have fun. Um, I, again, I think of you as being a very confident person. Um, you sort of exude confidence, and I think that's really cool. Um, do you always feel as confident as you're projecting uh, inside of your head and body? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, every, I think everybody has moments of, like, being self-conscious or being, like, not feeling as confident. But, like, I'm, like, I'm confident in my skills. Like, I know that I'm good at, at executing a video sketch. I know I'm good at directing comedy. Uh, I know that I can take an idea from idea to screen. What was your moment of biggest doubt since you've been out in L.A.? Um, huh. That's interesting. I don't know. I think, I mean, I think that like, I have like, I think I'm like, I'm the kind of person I'll have like little m mini moments, like moments of doubt that I'm just like, that's stupid. Like you're fine. Everything's fine. You're going to be great. Uh, I think that like anytime I'm like forced into a situation where I have to perform in front of someone an unreceptive audience that is like I doubt myself pretty frequently in those cases like anytime I've done like workshops with like improvisers that I'm like intimidated by I think I like doubt myself as a performer uh which is stupid but I think that those are like probably the, the biggest moments of, of doubt are like 
feeling when you feel uh, inadequate in comparison to someone who's like in a position to judge you. Uh, and I think that that happens, it happens a lot, but it happens in little short bursts. And I don't let myself get like, I don't shut myself down, I guess. I just keep pumping. You're a keep very pumping. good survivor. Yeah, I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor. <laughs> this is On the flip side, can you isolate like a moment that uh, exemplifies like the feeling of like, hey, I think I might really make it out here. Yeah. I, I think the first time that I actually felt like I could do something was when I, I directed a video for Medium Friends, which is Steve Slaga and Drew Tarver, called Call Waiting. It's, Such a funny video. Uh, it's like, it, it, uh, it was the first time that I like read a script, saw it in my head, and executed it exactly the way that I wanted to. Uh, and so like when I finished that video and we put it out and it got the response that it did, uh, of just like overwhelming positivity. Like that was, that was the moment that I was like, Oh, John, you're capable. Like you're very capable of doing what you need to do and what you want to do. So like in those moments of doubt, just remember that you are capable of, of, of good things. Uh, and then those kind of moments keep happening when I, when I do that again, or like I make another video that I'm like, no, this is, this is, this is exactly what I wanted it to be. It's kind of reaffirming that idea of just like, don't ever doubt yourself. Like, I'm allowed to do the things I do because people trust me. And I should trust myself, you know? And that's, I think that's where I'm at right now as a, as an artist. <laughs> it sounds so pretentious, but it's true. I feel like I'm at a place where I know that I'm capable uh, of doing bigger, better things. And it's just an... Uh, the thing is finding that bigger, better thing to do. Can you see a future where you don't get the success you want? Or do you just have uh, a lot of confidence that's going to happen? I have confidence that it's going to happen. I think that I'm prepared for it being a different thing than I expect it to be. I'm prepared uh, because my life has never, it hasn't pl like panned out to be exactly what I thought it would be. Uh, I've, I've become excited about that. The idea that like, I'm going to, like something will happen. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what, in what capacity I will sort of find my break. But like, I know that at some point, I don't know when, and I don't know, like, I don't know how long from now, how far in the future we're having, we're going to have to look, but something's going to happen. And I'm going to like find the success that I like, the vision of success that I, I, I have in my brain. But I don't know what it'll be. Is there a person uh, whose career is kind of your dream career? Uh, I think uh, I only really know him peripherally, but I think Eric Appel has a pretty great life. Uh, as in terms of a comedy director who is like consistently working uh, and has just a wonderful family, from what I can gather from social media, uh, and I think he's just a, such a cool guy. And still does improv at UCB every now and then. Like that's the life I want. Like I don't, I don't need to be like a, a Steven Spielberg. I just need to be a John Mackey who pays his rent and is happy with everything else in his life. So. Well, I think it's gonna happen for you. I hope so, Ben. I um, think it's gonna happen for you too. Oh, thanks. This is this interview is this is gonna be the one that gets you there. This is the thing. This is the one. People are gonna listen to this and go. This guy's got something. Mm -hmm. 
we want him to write our movie. Exactly. Because he uh, he did that interview like that. Exactly. I don't see how people are going to make that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to see, Ben. We'll have to see. You don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Who, who would have that reaction? A guy making a movie about interviewing. I don't know. Somebody. So my movie has to be a, mm-hmm. an interviewing movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you interviewing people. I don't want, that's not my dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, Ben. I don't know what to tell you. But thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're so cool, man. Hey, man, um, you too, dude. I love the way you think. We just high-fived everybody out there. You can see it on the little waveform on the computer. Well, they can't see it. You should post a screen cap. <laughs> uh, cool, man. Yeah, thanks for doing this with me. Dude, thanks for having me, Ben. my heart if you will stop projecting yours as hints and tips to solve all prayers well we've been here ten thousand years and there's no last days to sing God's praise so I don't know about you but I think John's pretty cool um, if you want to see John perform live you can see him almost every Monday with his Herald Team Winslow at the UCB Theater or look up Big Grande on the UCB website and you can see when their next show is. And if you type John's name, John Mackey, into Google, I bet you'll find a bunch of really awesome videos that he's both edited and directed. Special thanks to my producer, CZ Pierce, to Casey Treeler for all the music in this episode, and to our sound editor, Joe Burge. Thank you for listening to On the Cusp. That's your outro music.